week four of You Are Not an Algorithm. Uh, we made it to the end of this journey already. Hard to believe. It's always sad coming to the end, especially when you know there's so much material left on the cutting floor. Uh, so maybe it'll show up in other places. But it's time for Stuff a Shirt, and then we're moving into Advent. Already at the end of another year, another trip around the sun together. Now today's sermon is titled, The Narrowing of Your World. And here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to accomplish together this morning. I want to show you how the progression of the Bible is toward a larger worldview, greater inclusion, greater unity, a bigger view of God. This is my belief about the progression of the Bible. We start in Genesis, and as we move our way to Revelation, we're given a larger view of who God is. And then I want to show you how the technology that we use can subvert the direction that God is leading us in, taking us away from the life that God desires. We'll start uh, with the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Jesus was with his disciples, and together they withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Seems odd in itself, does it not? Jesus, the picture of compassion. Here comes a woman. Hey, help me. My daughter is suffering terribly. What does Jesus do? Blankly stares, doesn't utter a word. And so his disciples came to him. And they urged him, like, Jesus, you got to do something about this. Send her away. She's bothering us. She's, we're, we're just trying to have a little guy time. We're trying to have a little time here together. We're trying to withdraw from everyone. We've been with the crowds for a while. We need our own time, a time to rest, to recharge. Would you please send her away? Because she keeps crying out after us. She keeps badgering us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Canaanite woman would not have been included in the lost sheep of Israel. Again, it seems like an odd response from Jesus, does it not? First, there's no answer. Now his disciples are, dude, can you please send her away? And Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not for you. I wasn't sent for you. I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. This is a very odd and mysterious Jesus story. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And now Jesus replies. Uh, he, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is a tremendous insult. Likening this woman to a dog. Uh, how many of you would appreciate this? And yet here's Jesus doing something that, honestly, we're a bit appalled by, are we not? How did this work its way into the Bible? How, the editors must have missed this one. How did this sneak its way? What in the world is going on here? Uh, three notes on this passage. First, uh, this shows up in the book of Matthew. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Now, if you would have been included in this Jewish audience, the Canaanites would not have been looked upon favorably. The Canaanites were the bad guys. If we know much about the Old Testament, the Canaanites were in the promised land. They were the evil, wicked, depraved ones who were to be kicked out of the promised land 
so that the Jewish people could come in and take over. So throughout the entire history here, for a very, very long history, the Canaanites, they were outside of God's blessing. They were not part of God's people. And then a third note, what we see in the few verses that we read is that Jesus is strongly, we must emphasize strongly, strongly playing into the stereotypes and prejudices of the time. If you were a good Jewish man or woman, you saw a Canaanite, you might run the other way. You might respond as the disciples responded. Send her away. She's bothering us. She's not of our kind. She's not like us. She's not our tribe. She's not our group. You know, Jesus, you know the tribe that she belongs to. You know God doesn't look favorably upon you. You know the story of the Canaanites. I mean, where do these prejudices come from? In order to discover where this stereotype prejudice started, we have to go all the way back to the left. Early on in the story to Genesis chapter 9, right after the great flood. Here we are, Genesis chapter 9. This will be verse uh, 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How would you like to have that name, Ham? Recess might be a little difficult. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, do you notice this is the only son of Noah that the author is saying, hey, this is the father of this other person. Everyone else is just a son of Noah, but Ham is the father of Canaan. Uh, He saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Now when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Not Ham. Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will will he be to his brothers. So he curses one of his sons and their descendants, and then watch what happens with the other two sons. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. So this is great if you're Shem or Japheth, but pretty bad if you're Canaan, is it not? Like, may Canaan always be the slave of these other sons of mine. Uh, May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. So may Japheth and Shem, may they be good friends, may they be good neighbors, but Canaan, keep him out Side. Keep their descendants, the descendants of Canaan, outside of this little family. And again, may Canaan, as if he hasn't made the point already, may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. A few notes on this passage. The main focus is on who? It's on Canaan. Not Ham, but on Canaan. This story here explains why the Canaanites are a tribe of depravity. This is the rationale behind the stereotype that has been held for hundreds, thousands, possibly, of years. Why was the Canaanite woman looked upon unfavorably? 
Why was she not part of the Jewish tribe? Why was she part of this other tribe, this outside tribe that didn't deserve God's blessing? Because it goes all the way back to what happened after the flood with Noah and his sons. Look at, look at what their ancestor did. Look at the harm. Look at the sin that one of their ancestors long, long time ago committed. Because of that sin that happened so many years ago, well, now all the people are spotted, just like Canaan and his father, Ham. And in the ancient world, and I actually think this is true for us in our world today, maybe we're just not as aware of it, but the words we speak, they hold tremendous power. In the ancient world, it was believed that the curses or the blessings that were spoke over you, they determine your destiny. Have you ever had words spoken over you at a young age? Maybe even now, a little bit older in life, words are spoken over you, and it's almost like it, it becomes a, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you speak those words over you. Or if someone says something to you and you begin living into the words that were spoken, whether you believe it or not, you begin to question, oh, is, is what they said true about me? That, that I'm not deserving? We begin to question it, and then ever so slightly, our, our life, our world begins to move in that direction, right or wrong, we begin to believe the words, the phrases that are spoken over us. So in the ancient world, curses, blessings, well, these determined who you were going to be. So if Canaan was cursed, well, naturally then, his people would become accursed people for all time. Now, we have this history in Noah. We know how the Canaanites have been viewed. We hear how Jesus is responding to this Canaanite woman. If you're one of the disciples... Uh, here's how I believe you would have reacted to this conversation that Jesus is having with this woman. I found a picture uh, that I think displays this beautifully. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. Man, no one else found that funny. Come on, I, I had a good couple of chuckles in my office. You're all very serious this morning. If you're one of the disciples, send her away, send her away. And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't even give scraps to the dogs. You would have been like, Jesus, look at this guy. He's one of us. He knows what's true. Yeah, of course this is what he's going to be like. Whoa, he went a little strong there, but hey, you know what? Let's just keep drinking our wine, eating our food, because we all know this Canaanite woman, she does not deserve Jesus. She doesn't deserve God's blessing. But now watch how Jesus begins to flip the script. Again, the disciples, they're all in on it, but then watch how the story ends. Jesus replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. I mean, this is a bold woman, is it not? She does not, she's persistent. She doesn't go away. She recognizes that there is something in Jesus that can bring healing to her situation. She doesn't leave. She keeps pressing in. She keeps going further. She keeps conversing with Jesus. And she says, Lord, Jesus, yes. It is even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, surely there has to be some scraps for me. There has to be a piece of God for me. Maybe I've been believing, maybe we've all been believing that I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy of receiving from the true God, but, but there has to be, I truly believe in my heart that there's a piece for me. There's, there's a place for me at the table. Even if it's under the table, I believe there's a place where I belong. 
And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Here's how I believe the disciples would have reacted when they heard this. All right, Debbie's already laughing. Good. (laughs) They would have been shocked. Wait a second, wait a second. Jesus was playing into this stereotype, and now all of a sudden he's saying that there's something else here? There's something more? No, 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 no. She, She can't. How can her daughter be healed? She's outside of the tribe. God doesn't work this way. We know God is only for us and our tribe. God isn't for their tribe as well. They would have been shocked, appalled. They would have questioned a bit. Jesus, what? you're not the Savior. You're not the Messiah we thought you were. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I, I know what you were taught to believe. I know what all good Jewish men and women believe, what your religion has told you to believe. You've been believing this, your, this story your entire life. I know that this is the narrative, but I'm here to show you otherwise. I'm here to show you God is bigger than the narrow story that you've been believing. God isn't simply just for you and against them, but rather God is for all humanity. God's for all of us, and there's not a single person that is outside of God's blessing. Anyone else need to hear that this morning? You know, sometimes we make it about us, we make it about them, and we think, well, we're the in group, we're the blessed group of God and them. Well, they don't deserve it because here's the truth. We all have Canaanites in our lives. We all have people who we look at and we think they're outside of the blessing of God. Uh, sometimes it shows up uh, with those big people in the spotlight, people that we don't necessarily know, but we see them in the news. We hear about them. We read about them. It's political leaders that we don't agree with. It's entertainers, celebrities. We look at their lifestyle. Uh, we look at the things that they stand for, who they are, the things that they say, and we think, oh, glad I don't know them. But God definitely doesn't favor them. God's definitely opposed to them. And yeah, God might be against some of their views, but is God against them as people, as humans? Or what about, uh, there's groups that we all look down upon. Groups of people who hold ideas and beliefs that are different than the ideas and beliefs that we hold. And again, we think, well, they're not like us. It typically works that we're in the right, we hold all the right views, and it just so happens that everyone else who holds an opposing view, (laughs) well, they're wrong. And so God must be opposed to them, just like I am opposed to them. Have you ever experienced this? It's people who hold different political views, people who hold different social views than you, people with different religious beliefs. Surely God can't be for them. And then sometimes the Canaanites... It uh, hits a little closer to home. It's the people that we actually know. Uh, family members. Uh, people that we come in contact with on a regular basis. Or people that uh, we, we look at them and we just think, man, they need to be enlightened. 
You all have people like this in your life, do you not? You just think, well, if only they would be enlightened. Typically make it about us. If only they'd be enlightened like me. Well, then, then, then God would, would favor them. But until they see the light, well, then surely God must be opposed to them. They could not receive even scraps from the table, crumbs from the table. See, I think prejudices come with the territory of being human. The fact that we're human means we carry prejudices within us. Stereotypes about the world, about different people, about how people are, about how we are. And we all have our perceived justification for holding them. We have a reason. Uh, maybe it's a warped reason, and if you were to actually suggest this reason to someone else, they might look at you a little funny, like, hmm, that's weird, but all right, I guess if it works for you. But we have all come up with the rationale for why we hold the prejudices and stereotypes that we hold. This is true about the disciples. There was a reason why they held it. They had a narrative. They had a story. Uh, but we all create these narratives and stories in our head about why there's some people who are part of another tribe and why we are part of the in-tribe. And what's true is that we often look to reinforce the prejudices that we hold. We look to people who hold the same beliefs that we hold. We look to things that are familiar to us because it makes us feel good and reinforces, okay, yeah, I believe that and they believe that too and they're telling me this, so yeah, that's good. And here's the thing about technology. Uh, the tech platforms we use, they do not help in breaking our prejudices. Let me show you why. Now let's talk about filter bubbles. Who's heard of filter bubbles before? Okay. One of us, me and Ted, right there. Filter bubbles. Here's the definition from Wikipedia. A filter bubble, or ideological frame, is a state of intellectual isolation. That can result from personalized searches when a website, there's that word, algorithm, uh, selectively guesses what information a user would like to see based on information about that User, remember, we're all leaving a data trail. Every click, every search, everything, it leaves a data trail. And now, when we do a search, the algorithm is giving us the information that we want based off of all the previous searches and clicks uh, that we have shown. Let me give you two examples of this. All right, I want everyone to take their phone out. Let's do this together. Pull up, uh, maybe you have... Google or Safari, whatever search engine you use on your phone. I want you to pull it up, and I want you to type, where do I in that search box? All right, now there's a couple of suggested searches, are there not? John, what does it show you? Where do I what? Yup, which I had no idea was such a big show, but this is the collective... Uh, information from every single person that's searching. These are like the top. As soon as you type, where do I? It's the top search items that people look for when they're typing this in. So where do I watch Yellowstone? And then what's the other one? Where do I? Uh, okay, where do I vote, watch Yellowstone, or live, right? No, oh, okay, see, I don't have that one. I have where do I, where do I live. Anyone else have where do I live? Oh, where do I register? Okay, so I don't have that one. Let's do, we all have uh, where do I vote, right? So let's all click, where do I vote? Okay, what was the, uh, the top search result that came up for you? All right. What else did we get? You got something from Westchester? Okay. Who else? I actually got, where and how do I vote, Connecticut.gov. 
which is very odd because uh, I don't search for anything in Connecticut. Uh, so that's very bizarre. I guess I'm close to the Connecticut border. Uh, actually, Greenwich, Connecticut, voting hours and locations. Uh, any Anything else? Okay, let's do one more. Uh, what is, let's do this one. Okay, what is, oh, actually, no, I did this one with Steph. Okay, do this. Why am I, type in why am I. Now do you get why am I always tired? <laughs> Top Google search in the country, in the world. Uh, let's click, and then you you get the you get the third one. Why am I peeing so much? Hit that first one. Why am I always tired? What's the top thing that you get? Okay, you got something from Women's Health. You got something often tired during the day. I have twelve reasons you're always tired. Reachfortheheart.com. What's that? Oh, you got a questionnaire. Man, I want that. So what, what you'll notice is when we type these, when we type our searches into Google, first off, it gives us a completed, here's a couple suggestions for you based off of what other people have searched. But even whenever we search for the same item, the results we get are a little bit different. Based off of algorithms uh, showing the information that it thinks that we want. We're all being funneled each of us individually is being funneled in a particular direction things that might show up on the front page for some of us well they may not actually show up until the second or the third page if you're on your if you're on your your laptop so you might actually click something i i may not even see that post all based on algorithms telling us well this is who you've shown us to be and now we're just going to give you the information that is reinforcing the data that you have given to us through all your previous clicks, searches. So if you're kind of scrolling through a couple of things, well then now, whenever you do a search, it's not going to put that up there for you any longer because it's figured that, well, you don't want that information. This is what you're looking for. And then here's a, a scary fact that I found. A 2021 study conducted by the Pew Research Center, about 48% of people, adults, get their news from, or at least a portion of their news from social media. Does that scare anyone else? Because as we saw a couple of weeks back, your news feed is personalized. If you've been doing a whole bunch of searches on, you name it, whatever political scandal you want to adhere to, <laughs> chances are your newsfeed will be filled with information about that particular scandal that you have researched, that you've believed, that you've liked, that you've clicked, wherever you happen to be clicking it around the internet. Uh, I found this chart based off of that study. Uh, it says about a third of Americans regularly get their news on Facebook. So 68% of Americans use Facebook. 31% of Americans regularly get their news off of Facebook. That, that, that to me is extremely scary. Uh, YouTube, 22% of Americans get their news from YouTube. Uh, what about this one down here? 6% of Americans get it from TikTok. Who are these 6%? That is what I would like to know. Twitch? What is Twitch? 
I don't even know what Twitch is, but apparently 1% of Americans get their news from Twitch. It's the newest thing. Hmm. Uh, 3% from WhatsApp. 48% of Americans, 2021 research study, about 48% of Americans get our news from social media. All of our news feeds are individualized based off of previous data that we have given. Uh, you ever go on YouTube? We talk about YouTube news. You ever, you ever see all these recommended videos? So if you're getting, if you're part of that 22% that gets their news from YouTube, well, chances are, well, now what's going to be recommended to you is another news video reinforcing the video that you just watched. So a different opinion, a different view, a different perspective, chances are that will not be showing up in your news feed, in a recommended video, because the algorithm has already decided that you do not want to hear that information. This is the information you want to hear, so it's going to keep funneling all the information that it thinks you want right to your phone. Imagine if you were a Jewish man or woman in the first century and you were to Google who are the Canaanites. What do you think is going to come up? Chances are it's not going to be good. But what if you were to get a neighboring tribe, another group of people, and they searched who are the Canaanites? They may actually, in their Google search, it might say, hey, the Canaanites are the... Uh, they're at the top of civilization. They're some of the most creative people. But because of where you live, because of the things that you have searched, well, now you're not going to get a different perspective on the Canaanites or this particular group of people. How does this actually affect us? First off, we have minimal exposure to others and to different worldviews. And then uh, there's something called negative partisanship. And how this affects us is we have less empathy for each other. Less ability to show love and care and concern for all people, which seems to be the thing that Jesus is after. Love for all people, love for your enemy. But yet as we're funneled into information that reinforces prejudices and stereotypes, we actually have less empathy for each other. Here's a great book called The End of Absence. I want to read you a passage from this. Here's how a filter bubble works. Since 2009, Google has been anticipating the search results that you'd personally find most interesting and has been promoting those results each time you search, exposing you to a narrower and narrower vision of the universe. In 2013, Google announced that Google Maps would do the same, making it easier to find things Google thinks you'd like and harder to find things you haven't encountered before. You begin frequenting the same places based off of where you have been before. Facebook follows suit, presenting a curated view of your friends, activities, and your feed. Eventually, and here we are, the informa information you're dealing with absolutely feels more personalized. It confirms your beliefs, your biases, your experiences, and it does this to the detriment of your personal evolution. It narrows your world. You become more and more entrenched in a particular way of seeing the world with, with less of an ability to see beyond this way of thinking. Uh, here's one more quote it's from uh, Jaron Lanier, 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now. Anyone pick this one up yet? I mentioned it five weeks ago. Anyone go through it? It's a quick read. He says, your own views are soothingly reinforced except when you are presented with the most, and here's where it's extremely dangerous. Because you're hearing the other side, 
you're being exposed to it, but only the most irritating versions of opposing views. Like, ah, oh, see, that's why they're all like that. Yeah, I know all fill in the blank believe this. Even though there's people who are a bit more moderate, you're given the most irritating views to once again reinforce prejudices, stereotypes, and beliefs that you hold, calculated by, you guessed it, everyone's favorite term of the month, algorithms. Soothe or savage, whatever best keeps your attention. Facebook can actually pick up whether you're in a good mood or if you're in a bad mood. It's crazy. These platforms can actually determine if you're happy or if you're upset. So if you're happy, maybe they're going to give you things to keep reinforcing. But if you're angry, well, now it's going to keep giving you things that are opposed to your view in the most irritating way because you're already cranked. And it's going to keep you glued there because you're just going to become more and more enraged. You become trapped in a way of seeing. Uh, anyone ever hear of this phrase, confirmation bias? Again, you're presented this information and it just confirms what you already believe. See, that's why they're all... The, I, I told you all of these people think this. I, th I told you all these people are crazy. Uh, and we have less of an opportunity to hear each other. And we begin shouting at each other instead of listening. I found this term recently, negative partisanship. What it means is that uh, many of us are actually voting against rather than for something. When we go to the polls, which many of us did this past Tuesday, uh, many of us are now beginning to vote against people, ideas, instead of actually being for something. I found this uh, headline. This is from uh, September-October magazine in 2017. Negative partisanship explains everything. And there's that subtitle, conservatives and liberals don't just disagree. They actually like to hate each other. And it's getting uglier. Have we experienced this? Does there seem like there's a greater divide in our country, in our world? I would argue that the technology that we use is responsible for much of this. We no longer can listen to someone else's perspective. We no longer can be in the same room with someone holding a civil conversation because we're given the most irritating views uh, because our patience is becoming a bit more thin. All of this, including negative partisanship, is leading to less empathy. Uh, studies have been done showing how empathy is actually on the decline. There was a study done recently showing that empathy amongst college students, young adults, has decreased from 1979 to 2009. If you were a college student in 1979, you held way more empathy for each other than college students about 10, 12 years ago. Glad I went to college before 2009. <laughs> Hopefully my empathy is still uh, partially intact. <laughs> Honestly, we don't need studies in order to tell us this. You have all experienced this. Uh, why do we do Fruits of the Spirit series? I keep going back to that because Adrian's like, hey, do Fruits of the Spirit. I went and asked her why, and she said, because if more people actually live these fruits out, don't you think the world would be a better place? Yeah, empathy is on the decline. You all know this to be true. You've all experienced this. So I want to give you four practical ways that we can do something about our prejudices and our stereotypes 
ways to expand our world instead of constantly narrowing it. First, try something new. Don't Google it. <laughs> Don't Google map it. Or if you do, go to the second page or scroll very, very far down. Try something new. You ever notice this? The older you get, you go to the same restaurant. When I was younger, me and Steph would be like, hey, where are we going to go out to eat? We'd have a list of like 10 restaurants. Now, where are we going to go eat? I don't know. Here's the two restaurants we go to. <laughs> it seems like the older we get, maybe you're different than me, but it seems like everything becomes a bit more narrower. And I, I get it because we kind of know what we like. I, I understand that. But at the same time, how do we expand our world? How do we expand our worldview? We try new things. Go to a new restaurant. Try a new recipe. Get a new recipe book. Uh, go to a new food store. Go to a different town. Spend some time in a different town. Uh, go to the coffee shop three towns over instead of the one in your own town. Pick a new genre of reading. Uh, maybe some of you want to pick up uh, the latest romance novel or it's a good excuse to read some Danielle Steele. Just saying, all right? Pick a new genre. Don't keep reading the same genre that you always read. Look for new experiences. Second way, be together in the flesh. Get offline. Uh, a couple weeks back, we looked at how many hours we spend staring at, uh, staring at screens. What if we just chipped a little bit off that each week? And then we made a commitment to spend some more time with people in the flesh. Instead of having a text conversation, what if we're like, hey, here's a novel idea. Let's go grab coffee together. You have 45 minutes? Great. Let's do it. You have 20 minutes? I'll take it. <laughs> uh, we all talked about this uh, phrase, Zoom fatigue. We all experienced this during COVID, where we were staring at each other across the screen for so long, we finally said, I can't do it anymore. Because the way in which we're wired is we're wired to be together in community. So a second way to expand your world, be together in the flesh. Here's a quote by Sherry Turkle. Without conversation, studies show, we are less empathic, we are less connected, we are less creative and fulfilled. Can't relate to each other. Whenever conversation dies, and we're talking conversation in the flesh, whenever that dies, we have a more difficult time showing empathy. We're not as creative. Our lives don't feel as full. So try something new. Get together in the flesh. Be around different people or different perspectives. I know this is difficult for some of us. Read a book with someone who has a very different worldview than what you have. Read someone you disagree with. It's okay. I find it so interesting. I'll recommend a book and then people will be like, ooh, you shouldn't be reading that book. That might, it's a slippery slope right there. It might give you some bad ideas. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I'm, I can think for myself. I can critically think. Read something that you disagree with. Worst thing it'll do is that it'll reinforce your beliefs, and that's okay. But at least be exposed to different ideas and different beliefs. Uh, maybe listen to a podcast. Maybe pick out a YouTube video of someone who's saying something that you have no idea what they're talking about or someone that you disagree with. Be exposed to different ideas. And then when you're actually having a conversation with someone who holds different beliefs than you, here's an interesting idea. Suspend your judgment of them while you're having that conversation. You ever talking with someone and you're thinking in your head, instead of, how you're, instead of actually listening, you're thinking about how you're going to respond to them and tell them that they're wrong? What if we were to just 
let that go for a moment and we were to suspend our judgment and then get really curious about the person that you're talking with and you're to ask questions like, hey, why do you believe that? Like to me, that seems kooky. Tell me a little bit about why you believe that. What makes you think that way? Why, why do you hold this view? And here's what I've experienced. Here's what I found. When you, when you suspend judgment and begin getting really curious about the other person that you're talking with, you come to see what past events has shaped someone in a particular way. And it's like a light bulb goes off in your head. And you're like, oh, okay, I disagree. But I, now I know why they hold that view. I see what they've experienced in their life that, okay, I can understand now why they might believe this. I don't, but the truth is that person then becomes a bit more human. Rather than just an idea that you disagree with, well, now there's a person that you've had a conversation, you're growing in empathy for them, you're beginning to understand them, they're now becoming a human instead of just an idea or a prejudice that you hold in your head, which is really important because that's the first way to show empathy. How will we ever move our nation, our world forward if we can't get in a room and be civil with each other, especially the people that we disagree with? It's really easy when you all confirm the same thing. Yeah, it's way more difficult, though, when you're like, hey, we disagree, but we know we need to come to a solution. We know that this divide is not good for us. It's breaking us apart. So how can we be civil and move forward together? How can we agree to disagree? Which then leads me to my, the fourth way. Know when it's time to walk away. <laughs> Which is very, very important. Boundaries. If you're online, uh, simple rule, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. And don't get into arguments online. Please just don't do this. This is, please, I'm begging you. If there's one thing you remember today, don't get into an argument with someone online. <laughs> it doesn't help any of us. Many of us... Uh, we're more bold online. We'll say things online that we wouldn't actually say in person. So just, uh-uh. If you find your blood pressure starting to rise a little bit, it's time to shut it down, go for a walk outside, do some yoga, do some meditation, whatever you have to do to bring that blood pressure down. Uh, maybe you're about to get into an argument with someone, it's getting a bit heated, and you might say, hey, let's, let's talk about this in person. Guarantee you, you won't say something that you regret later. Because there's something about sitting across the table, staring into someone's eyes and saying something as opposed to just looking into a screen and not having to see their reaction. Uh, and then if you're in person, uh, when is it time to walk away? You can say, hey, let's agree to disagree. We're never going to agree on this, and that's okay. Let's change the topic. <laughs> let's stop talking about this. Let's agree that we're not going to agree on this, and that's okay. I still love you. I can still be civil with you. Let's now talk about the weather for a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it becomes a bit too heated, it's time to walk away from it so you don't say something that you will regret. Disagreement, is, it's healthy. It's okay. But don't be dragged down into a person that you don't want to become. Jesus said to the woman, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And immediately, immediately, her daughter was healed right at that moment. Here's a question I want us to all think about. What healing can we bring to our lives in this world as we move beyond our prejudices and see the humanity and connectedness that we share with each other? May you be a person of healing. May you move beyond a narrow world 
May your world become bigger, larger. May your view of God become bigger. May you come to see the connectedness that you share with every single human being. And may you come to trust that God's love, God's blessing is for everyone. May that change how you see every single person you come in contact with.